Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. A few years ago, my wife and I were on vacation with a few of our friends at Sunset Beach when we found out that a hurricane was quickly approaching. The local news encouraged people to evacuate, but we are those people, so we decided to stick it out. If you ever watch the news, you're like, why would people stay? I don't know. We did. Whatever. So we, we kind of decided to stay because we weren't really sure the next time we would go on vacation with our friends, let alone go on vacation at all. So we hunkered down in the house and we waited. As the storm began to hit the beach, you could hear the rain pelting the windows. You could kind of feel the house start to rumble. When the storm seemed to be at its worst, one of our friends actually asked, I wonder what the ocean looks like right now. There were a few moments of silence before someone else shouted, let's go check. And so within minutes, all eight of us were sprinting through torrential rain and hurricane winds so that we could go see the ocean. And when I say torrential rain, I mean rain that stung when it hit your skin. And when I say hurricane winds, I mean like we were running tilted so that we didn't get blown away. And as we ran for these two blocks to the ocean, it was a ghost town. Everyone had left but us. Eventually, we got to the beach to see that the shore was essentially gone. It was engulfed by the ocean. The water was high, it was a light brown color from the churning on the ocean floor, and the waves were aggressively crashing about. It was absolutely amazing. And then the same guy whose idea it was to go see the ocean decided to jump in. Within a few steps, the water was up to his waist and doing everything it could to try and sweep him out to sea. Now, I've shared this before, but I am afraid of the ocean, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. I don't like it. I don't like that you can't see the bottom. I don't like that it's bigger than stronger than me. I don't like what lives in the ocean. I don't like that some of you pee in the ocean. I'm not a fan of the ocean. But for me, this was probably going to be the only time I would be at the ocean during a hurricane, so I jumped in as well. Now listen, I never said I was smart. I just said I was afraid. It was incredible and terrifying. It took all of my strength just to stand up. All this while the rain continued to just drill us. At one point, I decided to pick up my feet to see what would happen, and the water immediately took me 50 yards down shore. It was so powerful. It was so strong. It was so intimidating. Now, I've always had a healthy fear of the ocean, but it was this moment when I realized just how powerful it can be. I'd never taken the ocean lightly, but this was different. It didn't matter how strong I was. It didn't matter how well I could swim. It didn't matter that my feet could touch the ground. The ocean was clearly in control. When I finally got out of the water, I stood on a small sandbank in awe of the power of the ocean. Today, we're starting a brand new series because I want us to experience the power of God. And so here's our theme verse for the next few weeks. It comes from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And so what happens is this is right after the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. God has split the waters and spared them from death and slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. And this is what it says in Exodus 14, verse 31. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord. Now, don't you want to experience the power of God? The same power that the Israelites experienced when God saved them from slavery. The same power that would later raise Jesus from the dead. Don't you want to experience that power? And see, I think a lot of us treat God like we treat the ocean. Like we kind of like to play in it, dabble our feet in it a little bit, splash splash around in it, have a good time, pack up, and go home. But in that moment during the hurricane, I experienced the power of the ocean, and my perspective of it has changed forever. 
Don't you want to see the power of God unleashed in your life? Don't you want to see the power of God unleashed in your marriage? Don't you want to see the power of God unleashed on your addiction, on that wayward teenager, in the business, in your parenting, in your school? Don't you want to see the power of God unleashed in this church so that we can see a city, a state, and a region impacted forever? I know that's what I want to see. And that happens when we walk in obedience to God. Now, we talk all the time here that God's way for our lives is best. When we follow his way, that is the best way that we can live. And today we're going to start with John 3.16. This is the most famous verse in the Bible, and this is what it says. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God wants us to spend eternity with him, and that's great. I know that I want eternal life, but here's the thing. I also want a good life now. And part of the good news that Jesus brought is that he not only wants us to spend eternity with God, he wants to give us a good life right now as well. Jesus says in John 10.10 that he came to give us life and life to the full. Another translation says that he came to give us life better than one we could imagine. And so we don't have to wait until we die to experience true life. Joy is available now. Freedom is available now. Following Jesus will lead you there. And the problem is that we have a lifetime full of mistakes We have a lifetime of sin. And so when we get baptized or when you get baptized, there's not this magic Jesus fairy dust that gets sprinkled on you that erases all the consequences of the choices and mistakes that you've made in your life. You still have to deal with those. But what does happen when you make Jesus the leader of your life is you start thinking how he thinks. You begin to live how he lived. And then you can experience the freedom that God wants us to have. But the thing is, when we start to make those decisions and make those changes, it can be painful because we've been doing our life a certain way. Think about it this way. If you're driving a car at 60 miles per hour and you throw it in to reverse, you're going to have to take out the engine. You're going to have to do some work. But after that, you'll be able to go in the right direction. And so what we try to do every week in here is we look at Scripture and we ask, how can I live my life how God wants me to live it? It may be painful to change. It may be hard to adjust how we think. It may be difficult to turn my life in a different direction, but it will be worth it to experience true life. See, Jesus doesn't just want to give us life when we go to heaven. He wants to give us life now. He wants to bring peace in our marriage, peace in raising our kids, peace in your sexuality, peace in how you work. And if you want to see the power of God unleashed in your life, it starts with obedience to him. In our country, one of the biggest ways that we are disobedient to God and, and maybe one of the biggest sins that we are okay with in this country is the sin of greed. Now, we are out of control when it comes to our money. And so this series is about wisdom and money. And maybe that's not what you were expecting. Maybe you were thinking something different. But when we walk in obedience to what God is teaching, you will see the power of God unleashed in your life, even when it comes to your finances. This summer, uh, Forbes magazine reported that Kylie Jenner was reportedly worth $900 million. Now, if you don't know who Kylie Jenner is, proud of you. Seriously, don't worry about it. Don't even Google it. Uh, Jenner is most well-known for being part of the Kardashian family, which is pretty much all you need to know about her. And so the article went on to say that Jenner was $100 million away from being the youngest self-made billionaire in the world. When the article hit, someone actually posted on Twitter, we need to raise $100 million to give to Kylie Jenner so she's a full billionaire. Another person posted, I'm skipping my child support payments so this fierce female can become a billionaire. Now, while these were hopefully tongue-in-cheek, someone actually created a GoFundMe to raise $100 million for Kylie Jenner, and people donated to this cause. GoFundMe eventually saw it. They took down the page. They returned the money. But somehow they managed to get actually a few hundred dollars from people who who decided that she needed to be a billionaire. 
And for many of you, when the church talks about money, this is how you feel. You feel like it's Kylie Jenner trying to get that last $100 million to become a billionaire. And some of you are already going to get defensive and you're going to put walls up or you're thinking all this church cares about is money. And so here's what I would say to that. If you ask any person that has been to Collective more than once, they would tell you that we do not push, pull, make you feel guilty, shame you, or anything else when it comes to your money. In fact, every Sunday we tell people if you are not comfortable giving, that you shouldn't do it. And to prove that to you all in this series, we're actually not going to pass the offering baskets. And trust me, when I mentioned that to my mentors, they all decided that I was insane. But here's the thing. I want you to trust God with your finances. But I want you to do it because you trust him, not because I tell you to. So we're done passing the gray gray baskets. My hope is that we never pass those baskets again. Now, for those of you who give regularly on Sunday mornings, or for those of you who throughout this series will take steps to trust in God for the first time, or trust in God with regularity, or even trust God a little bit more with your finances, our team will have the baskets at the double doors as you walk out. That's where you'll drop your connection cards, and that's if you are prepared to give, or if you want to give, or if you feel like that's a step in faith that you want to do, you can do it there. Now, the best thing for you to do is you can actually go online and you can give online. It's safe and easy. I would encourage everybody to do that because you can set up recurring so that giving is actively a part of what you do, not something you passively do when we remind you on Sunday. We're taking that reminder away. And so for some of you, you actually have to intentionally choose to have giving be a part of your faith. And so I say all this, and, and I want you guys to know, collective is financially where it needs to be. We're on the right direction. And to make sure we keep moving in that direction, I'm going to continue to raise my salary so we can continue to do what we do here at Collective. This isn't passive-aggressive. We don't want anything from you. Instead, we want something for you. And for this series, the thing we want for you is to experience peace and joy and life when it comes to your money. If that leads you to a place where giving becomes a part of your faith, great. If not, our hope is that you still gain a better perspective on how you handle your finances. And listen, my original plan for 2019 did not have a giving series. This was not something I wanted to do this year. In fact, it makes me incredibly uncomfortable to even talk about it. But Collective has grown, and we've seen what God can do, and we've seen what happens when we add a second service, and see what happens as more people show up. And so we've seen God unleashed in this small little sample, and we want more of that. And one of the ways that we can make this happen is by taking control of our finances and trusting God. Do you know the number one topic that people don't want to discuss at work? Uh, to be honest, I, I would have thought it was politics, especially right now, right? Election, a few days, vote, right? But, you know, you think maybe it's politics, maybe it's religion, but the reality is it's personal finance. If you want to upset your coworker, ask them about their personal finances. It's the number one most taboo topic for the workplace. And to be honest, that's why people here don't want me talking about it in church. You are uncomfortable, but we're going to do it anyways because it's not about comfort, Right? So today we're going to start a new series, and we're going to talk about debt today. Now listen to these stats on debt. The average debt in our country is 136% of household income. That means when you bring home $100 in your paycheck, you have $136 in debt already. The number one reason for divorce in America, it's not infidelity, it's money. Money causes more divorce than adultery. The average credit card debt is $14,500, and 55% of people live paycheck to paycheck. That means if you lose your job, if somebody gets sick, if somebody you love is in need, you can't do anything about it. Debt is a crisis in America. But scripture teaches us in Proverbs 22:7 that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, let me explain what a proverb, proverb in scripture is. It's a proverb, not a prophecy. So it's not saying something will be true. 
It's not a command saying you need to go make this be true. A proverb is saying this is true whether you like it or not. When it comes to debt, you've, ex- you've seen this and you've experienced this. Most of you know what it's like to be in debt and feel like you are slave to a lender. But we want to be set free. We don't want to be a slave to anyone. We want to see the power of God unleashed. And one of the ways we do that is by eliminating our debt. Romans 13.8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Owe nothing to anyone. Owe nothing to anyone. Can you imagine a life where you owed nothing to anyone? That sounds good. That sounds free. And so I want to talk about the problems that debt causes. One of the problems that debt causes is this. Debt cripples your dreams. Here are the things people say uh, when they're in debt. They say, I want to get married to my girlfriend, but I don't have enough money. I want to buy a house, but we just can't afford it. I want to start trying to have kids or adopt, but the cost is too high. I'd love to go on a mission trip, go to another country and make an impact, but I don't have the money. Quick side note, at the end of church today, we're actually going to talk about our partnership in Haiti and what you can do next year to be a part of that. People say, I would love to give more to the church, but I can't afford it. People say, I want to quit my job, but I have to keep it because it pays the bills. Debt cripples your dreams. The second problem with debt is that debt limits your generosity. The average American Christian gives away 3% of their income, 3%. Now that's in contrast to God's command of the baseline of generosity being a tithe, which is 10%. That's what God says is the starting point. But the average American Christian only gives away 3%. Now that's wrapped up in greed. But the way that works itself out is that most American Christians can't afford a tithe because they have so much debt. I personally believe that everybody wants to be generous, but we can't afford to do it because of our debt. In fact, I read another stat. The average American pays roughly 10% of their average income just in interest. So not even paying down debt, not even in debt payments, just the interest that the average person pays is a tithe. People don't tithe to God. They tithe to interest. And I'll tell you off the top today, you don't ever get to a point where you can afford to be generous. You decide to be generous and work everything else around. That generosity is a lifestyle, not a convenience. It is inconvenient to be generous. And so it has to be at the core of who you are or it just won't happen. That is why we talk about generosity the way we talk about other things. We say things like, when I make more money, I'll get a nicer car. When I make more money, I'll get a bigger house. When I make more money, I'll go on another vacation. When I make more money, I will be generous and give more away. If you don't believe me, this week, the lottery topped out at $1.6 billion. Many of you know that. Some of you bought a ticket and prayed to God that you would win. But anytime the lottery gets that high, a lot of us begin to dream about how we would spend that money, right? You even hear that 1.6, and you're like, here's what I would do. I've got this, I've got this, I got this bill. But what happens is we, we, we pretend, and a lot of us, the first thing we do is we say, well, I'd give 10% to my church. I'd donate to a local homeless shelter. I, I, would give, I would be generous to those in need. And once that's done, I'm buying a boat, right? But generosity isn't a convenience. It's a lifestyle. Generosity can't only come when you have the money you believe you need to be generous. You are either generous or you are not. And so debt cripples your dreams. Debt limits your generosity. And debt hurts you. Of marriages that end in the first seven years, 90% blame money. Proverbs 15, 27 says, greed brings grief to the whole family. Now debt in, itself, in and of itself isn't actually evil, but scripture just says that if you choose to go into debt, you are choosing to be slave to someone else, to, to a lender. 
But when you are greedy, you are choosing to bring grief into your own life and into the lives of your family. And many of us know what that feels like every single day. And so this sermon isn't just about greed and the problems that it brings. Like, how do we get out of debt? The first thing is easy. Don't go into debt. I know that sounds dumb, but it's true. Don't do it. Or if you are in debt, don't go deeper down that hole. I have to tell you, part of this sermon is really personal to me because when I graduated high school, I felt like my only option was to go to college, but I didn't know how we'd pay for it or even what it would take to pay for college. And so I showed up my freshman year ready to take any loan I needed so that I could attend. It didn't even matter. I would, I would take it. You want my arm and money? Sure. Just take whatever you need. I want to go to school here. And while I was there, I actually had a financial advisor convince me to take a loan that was three times larger than what I needed. And like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I was the first person in my immediate family to go to college out of high school, and I thought this was normal, so I took the loan. A few years ago, when I finally started to understand student loan debt, I realized that the interest rate was so high that I was going to pay three times the amount of the original loan in interest before it was paid off. And so mathematically, it was 10 times more than what I originally needed. And so my wife and I, when we realized this, we decided to aggressively pay it off. And when we did, we were very proud of ourselves. But this summer, when we went to buy our first home, we felt the impact of a debt that was created when I was 18 years old because the down payment we had when we saved up for wasn't quite what we thought it would be. I don't regret college. I met some of my best friends there. I finally figured out who I was as a person. I met my wife there. But one bad decision when I was 18 had a ripple effect that we are still feeling today. And now what I'm doing is I'm looking at my two daughters and I'm hoping that I don't put them in that same situation. And so you have a choice. Don't go into debt. Or if you're in debt, don't go deeper down that hole. The second way you get out of debt is to start being generous. The most important thing you can do with your money is to trust and honor God by tithing to your church. Scripture teaches us that we will reap what we sow. This is true with our finances. This is true how we treat people. This is true in every other aspect of our life. We reap what we sow. A financial advisor actually once told me that in his career, he had counseled over 5,000 Christian couples. These are people who put their faith in Jesus. These are people who say this is freedom in Jesus. These are people who say they trust Jesus. He'd counseled 5,000 Christian couples and the number of people that tithe, four. Don't wait until you are out of debt to honor God. And I know you think right now that you can't afford it, but if you are not generous now, you will not be generous later. The stats just show that. If you are not generous on 30 grand a year, you will not be generous on 100 grand a year. You wouldn't say, once my marriage is better, then I will be faithful to my wife. No, the faithfulness is going to be the path that leads to a better marriage. And similarly, don't say, I will honor God with my money once I get control of my finances. No, the faithfulness to God is going to be the path that leads you to better finances. Mark Batterson, a pastor in D.C., says it best. I trust God to do more with my 90% than what I could do with 100%. And this series, my hope is that this series is a chance for you to take those steps and be generous. And so don't go into debt, start being generous. And the most practical way you get out of debt, so those were two ideas, but this is actually a practical way, is use the debt snowball. If you are in debt right now, this will be your path out. Let let me show you some stuff on the screen. Let's say that your debt looks like this. You have your school loans, you finance some furniture, you owe a visa, you have money on your target card, you owe money on your car, and your parents were nice enough to give you a loan that's interest-free. The first thing you want to do is list your debts smallest to largest based off the payoff balance. And someone I know is in here and they're mathematically thinking it is best to pay off the highest interest rate first. That's true, but you don't have the money to do that. And mathematically, don't go into debt, right? That's the solution. You're not in this situation because you're good at math. Let's be honest. It's okay. (laughs) 
So let's go to the next slide. So you put them in order from smallest to largest of total owed, and that's how you attack your debt. What you're going to do is you're going to pay off the smallest first. But what we want to do is we want to do it sooner than nine months on the minimum payment, so we want to get a few extra hundred dollars in order to pay that thing down. And so this is easy, right? You stop going out to eat, cut cable, stop buying clothes, stop going to Starbucks. It's really Starbucks, guys. That's really what it is. But what we're going to do is we're going to do something to get intense about this and gain our freedom. And so we're going to get a couple extra hundred bucks and we're going to put that toward Target and we're going to pay that off in two months. Then instead of saying that we have an extra $250, which is what most of us do when we pay off a debt, we're like, hey, we got extra money. You're going to throw that on top of the money that you're paying on your furniture and you're going to knock that out in a few months. Once that is paid off, you roll that into the money you owe your parents and then Visa and then the car and then our student loans. Now, if you don't do this, it will take you 120 months to pay off all these loans, 10 years of minimum payments. If you do the debt snowball, you will pay these off in 21 months, less than two years. Now, let's say after these 21 months, you've gotten used to living without that $1,100. So you say, what can we do that, to make this work for us? So what you can do is you can invest that into a general mutual fund, which on average gains about 10%. It's 8% right now. And at the end of the same time that you would have been in debt, you will have saved $169,709. How do you like your debt now? Now, everything I just shared is a blatant ripoff of Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class. I'm not that smart, guys. Come on. You guys are like, man, he preaches. He knows, nope, don't know that. Not good at math. And so Dave Ramsey will spend a couple hours on this, and I gave it to you in a few minutes. And so the thing is this, if you are really interested in getting out of debt or you feel like you dug yourself a hole that is too deep and you cannot get out on your own, Collective will be hosting a Financial Peace University class starting in December. It's nine to 10 weeks. It's an opportunity for you to take control of your finances. It's an opportunity for you to figure out how to get out of debt and how to be generous or even set yourself up for the future in the right way, right? So even if you're not in debt now, but you're about to take some bad steps and bad decisions, this is a class that you should be a part of. But no matter where you are, you should start by taking baby steps now so you can free yourself from the debt that you currently have. Now, do you know how I know that Jesus wants us to be free from debt? Obviously, it's in Scripture, so that's one of the reasons. But the second reason is this, because he canceled the debt of our sin. Let's make this spiritual. So Colossians 2 says this, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to a cross. So we had a debt to God because of our sin, and Jesus came to take that away. We couldn't pay that. So instead, Jesus stepped into our place. He paid our debt when he died on a cross. It was our debt. It was our fault, but Jesus paid it all. And when you give your life to Jesus, you become free from that debt. You have a debt of sin that you've been carrying around for a long time, and it's awkward, and it's heavy, and it's painful. And if we're being honest, we recognize that it's our fault. Because at some point in our life, we said, I'm going to live how I want. I'm going to go against what Scripture teaches. And we reap what we sow. We reap the consequences of those bad decisions, of walking out of alignment with God. What happened on the cross was that Jesus says, give me that debt. He says, I will take it. All of your sin, all of your weight, put it on me. Give me your shame. Give me your insecurity. Give me your mistakes. I will give you perfection. I will give you freedom. And when you give your life to Jesus, it is like setting down the weight of your sin, and you are free. And so good, because you don't have to look back, because he has taken it forever. So even when we mess up again, which we will, there's forgiveness. And we don't take advantage of that, but we rest in his grace forever because we are free. That's what it means to follow Jesus. 
Colossians 2 also says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now, if you're here today because you feel like you need new life, it is available. Collective isn't a place where we throw stones. It's a place where we say, let's trust the mighty power of God so we can experience life to the full. And so if you feel like you need to be free, and I'm talking about way deeper than financial debt, I'm talking about the debt of your sin. If you need to be free and walk without that burden anymore and walk without that weight anymore, you need to take a step and get baptized. Check it off on your connection card. Come talk to me. But our goal as a church is we want to talk to you and talk to you about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus where you can live free and light forever. Now, don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be free financially? Don't you want to be free from your sin? Jesus wants both of those things for you. And I don't know about you, but I want to see the power of God unleashed in this church, unleashed in marriages, in schools, in places of business, so we can impact this city and this region forever. And that begins when we walk in obedience with him. And so I'm going to close out today by asking two simple questions, and we're going to bring these up over the next few weeks as we go through this series. But the questions that we need to wrestle with as we move forward and as we think about obedience, as we think about the power of God is this. What is God saying to you? Question number two is what are you going to do about it? Don't miss the opportunity that God has put before you today to walk in obedience to him so that we can see the power of God unleashed in our lives and the lives of the city forever. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, um, that you want us to be free. God, that you don't want us to be, be slaves to any person. God, you don't want us to bury ourselves in debt, whether it's the debt of our sin or even financial debt, God, that you want us to feel freedom and you want us to feel freely and lightly. God, I pray this week that we can take steps to feel that. God, whether that's, that's taking our sin and offering it to you so you can take that burden from us, or God, whether it's financial, as we take steps to, to learn how to be generous and trust you. And God, thank you so much that, that your teaching isn't just about uh, our life and eternity with you, but God, uh, your teaching is practical and something that we can learn and really make our, our lives better or our marriages better or our family's family better. And God, we just are so thankful that we get to do that and figure that out uh, through your guidance. And God, we thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us. And God, we thank you that you paid our debt. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.